Uh, good morning. Um, my name is Matt Wadarzik. I'm part of the um, preaching team here. I am somewhat amazed and always humbled when I'm up here. I think some of you are more amazed than I am. Um, but today we're going to keep going on our series about Jesus is greater. Today it's Melchizedek we're talking about. Um, before I begin, have you ever noticed how much energy leaves this room when the kids go? Um, you know, they're going off to junior church, but have you ever thought about what... Um, that impact has of these kids being here. You know, all you young parents and some of you old parents, um, you know, you think the kids may be enjoying this. The kids are probably bored to death being in here at the first. I remember one little kid a couple weeks ago saying, yeah, we get to get out of here and as they're running out. Um, but I don't think these children know really what's going on. Um, you parents are trying to get into their DNA that this is where they're supposed to be on Sundays. And um, I want to give you some, ex I, just, I just want to give you a couple side examples that I saw over the years. And one of them, you have to excuse me if I break up, but um, um, you know, Bobby and Neil have their little daughter up here, okay? She thinks it's fun sitting here watching her dad play drums. She was up here with a mic about this tall, I think it was last week. She doesn't know what that's doing. It's sticking in her head. It is there. And this is one I'll probably break up on. I'm a baseball guy. A couple years ago, end of June, Little League All-Star play. There was a dad in here with his son, with his jersey on. The game was after church. No reason for them to be here. They could have been out throwing baseballs. But that dad brought him here, basically saying, church, more important. Baseball, great. Although I struggle with that sometimes. Um, <laughs> but you're bringing them here because you want them to understand how important this is. Now, I was raised in the Catholic tradition, and church was just about mandatory, um, I grew up with that stuck in my head to the point to where <laughs> even after we were married, we'd go on vacation, I would have to find a church to go to on a Sunday. And I would then bring a bulletin back to the pastor and say, hey, I did what I was supposed to do. <laughs> but it was that stuck in my DNA. I've sort of, I've grown out of that since then, but... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, growing up in that Catholic system, there were a lot of good things I learned, but it seemed like the message wasn't complete. And I'm not saying they were doing anything wrong. It just seemed that it was not enough. Like there was something I wasn't being told. Uh, just give me an example. Um, and this is so funny. I don't know if this is how God works things out. But I'm 11 or 12, and I'm talking to Sister Mary I'll just say Sister Mary, whatever, because they're all named Sister Mary. Um, but I remember asking her, where did religion come from? And she immediately said, Melchizedek. So I looked 
up Melchizedek, and all I find out about him was he's a priest, he's a king, and he takes tithes. You see, the answer didn't address my question. And, you know, sometimes that happens even in here. But uh, I grew up with this, and that was sort of stuck in my head. There was something more. And what I have found, and I think you'll, you'll believe this is true, is that we grow up with biases and beliefs that we don't know where they came from, and they're stuck in our DNA, and they're hard to get over. And the sad thing about it is usually the first thing that you learned is the hardest thing to forget. Hopefully you learned the correct thing the first time, but I'm sorry to say, at least from my vantage point, there's a lot of stuff I learned that I had to relearn over time because it was well-intentioned but just a little off. So inherently we know these things. Well, you notice my slide, my thing here has this comment, subtitle called Creative Destruction. And I will get, I'll explain that a little more, but I want to give you just, I'm going to give you some foundation on how this works. Now, creative destruction comes out of the high-tech world. And back in the 70s, if you can remember the 70s, uh, there was this law called Moore's Law. And that law was such that every 18 months, computing power would double. Every year and a half, things would be faster and better. Now you can tell it's, it's, it's going even faster. And really, I used to love technology. I hate it now. <laughs> I used to think it was cool. I had a terminal on my desk at work. I came home and told Cindy, I said, I got a terminal on my desk. And she goes, so? And I'm going. <laughs> but as time went on, all these neat things have happened. But let me give you an explanation of what creative destruction is. Okay, it's a process through which something new brings about the demise of whatever existed before. You hear that? It's a process that comes through and replaces something else. Not that the thing, first thing was bad, it's just it replaces it. So basically, what's new today will get replaced tomorrow. But let me show you how this works. I'm going to show you cell phones over the length of time. And some of you are going to snicker because you're going to see the phones you've had over the years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> some of you think this is where cell phones started. No, this is not. <laughs> okay. Now, I put this up here because I know everybody wants to earn heaven points while they're here. Three-part question to earn your heaven points. What TV show was this? Okay, that's good. What's the agent's number? 86. 86, oh, okay. What was the female agent's number? Why do you remember the female? <laughs> okay, okay, so let's, let's move on. Sorry, I had to put that in there. Okay, this is the first cell phone, April 1973. It was about the size of a shoebox, had 35 minutes of power, and it would take 10 hours to charge. Okay, this was not spread out in the population. Let's go to the next one. Okay, this is 1983. This is the more common one. This is one that sort of got the thing going. Let's go to the next one. See, 
Now, you notice what's happening. What are they doing? Smaller. Smaller. Okay. Now, who, did somebody have this phone? Oh, there we go. <laughs> now? <laughs> Great. Woo. Okay, let's go to the next one. Okay, see the woo, little Nokias. And the next one? <laughs> oh, how many had palms? Yeah, let's see. It's great stuff. <laughs> and the next one? Oh, iPhone 3G, 2007 model. First one of its kind. Isn't that cool? Now, here we have the iPhone 10. The one on the right, that one, um, is big enough, I believe, to cook pancakes, <laughs> bacon, and eggs all at the same time. I mean, they've gotten this, like, you hold it like this, okay? So, you see creative destruction? You see what's happening? It's getting better and better and better and better. And it went from huge, huge, to small, to small, to small. Now it's big again, but it's only like size, thickness of a quarter. Okay, now, let's go to the next slide here. Okay, now some people think that this is a good baseball team. <laughs> but if they hear the gospel according to the Dodgers, this is the better team. Okay. Okay. Now we've, you know, I sort of made fun of this, but let me, let me get a little personal here. Uh, many of you in here have a saving faith in Christ. And at some point in the past, you heard his claims that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one shall come under the Father through him. There was also a claim that says salvation comes under no, under no other name under heaven except by him. You've heard about repentance. You've heard about salvation. Um, you've heard that eternal life only comes through Christ. You heard all that, and you believed it. Let's take a step back to when you first heard it. You probably went, wait a minute. You probably thought, that's the craziest thing you've ever heard. You probably said, I'm good enough. You probably said, my church doesn't believe that way. You probably said a lot of crazy things. You know, you probably say, I'll do all right when I get there, when I face God. You know, all of these things. You probably also ask the question, if God is a God of love, how can he send people to hell? Well, guess what? He doesn't. He just gives us a chance to book our future hotel reservation in the future. Now, that's all he does. He gives us that choice. Where do you want to be? So we go through all this. What changed your mind? What made it change? Could it be the process of creative destruction? And I'm going to keep using the process instead of creative destruction. Could it be that's what happened to you? Is that the Holy Spirit came enough to you in many different ways, many different people, many different times, at odd places, and he came to you, and he says, hey, there's a better way. Hey, look over here. Hey, hey, hey. I have a sister that was raised the same way I was. She went from Catholicism to nothingism to Shirley MacLaineism to a saving faith in Christ. Now tell me, how did that happen? But all the stuff she came with 
which was, some of it was good. God used it. Because all the stuff she went through was the same stuff I went through. It wasn't enough. There was something missing from the puzzle. And just by the way, just as a side note, this process doesn't stop after you come to saving faith in Christ. There are many times and many events over your lives after coming to Christ that guess what? You think one way, God thinks another. And there's this clash of my thought, his thought. And it, but it's the process. It's all the process. Now let me show you how this fits with Melchizedek. We'll finally get there. Let me give you a little background to this passage we're going to read. This happens, you can put that up there. This happens, Abram took his, God told Abram, we're taking you to the promised land, we're going to get you there, we're going to make you a great nation. And he said, go on your own, but he takes his nephew Lot. Big mistake, that's a different story for a different day. He takes Lot, and Lot ends up separating, and he goes to live in a city called Sodom, which eventually ends up getting ransacked by these five kings. And so Abraham's going, ah, got to go get my nephew. So he takes off, and he goes and rescues him from where he's at. This happens on the way back. It says, after Abraham returned from defeating Kirtle Armor and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered you, your enemies, into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. This is one of the two places in the Old Testament that Melchizedek is mentioned. He's a mystery. No one knows where he came from. No one knows where he went. No one knows how old he was. No one knows when he died. He is this guy that just comes out of nowhere and meets Abram on the way back. He's not a Levite priest because the tribes weren't implemented yet. He's given tithes. Tithes weren't implemented yet. So he's this interesting guy that comes out of nowhere. Although there's some evidence that this was a pattern of the priests that were in that area, that they would, if the, the winning group would come back from winning the war, and the priest would stand there and try to get a cut of the action. So you could look at it from that way. But he's a mystery. But he then ends up, as we're going to see here, he's going to end up becoming this type of Christ, this prototype, or however you want to put it, a shadow of Christ that's coming. But why is he so special? Well, one is, there are a few things about him that did not fit the Jewish concept of a priest. And we're going to see the, go to the book of Hebrews to see how this plays out. And just to give you a little background on the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians, which came out of the the law, the Old Testament, 
the sacrifices, the rituals, everything that they grew up with. And they're now coming into Christianity. So they're bringing all this stuff with them. Does that sound familiar? You come to Christ, you really don't leave anything behind to some extent. You get to bring all your stuff with you. And God says, great, come on in. We'll deal with it when we get here, okay? So let's go to, there we go. Let me read this here. It says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Okay, we find three things out about Melchizedek. So you've got that little grid on your insert there. So go ahead and mark it. You got, was he a Levite? Nope. Was he a king? Yes. Was he a priest forever? Well, allegorically, yes. We don't know whatever happened to him, but this passage is saying, like the Son of God. So now let's fill in the priest section. To be a Levitical priest under God's laws, you go back to Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and look in there, you'll see that the priest had to be a Levite. So you could not have somebody from the tribe of Asher come in and put their job description in or their resume in and say, I want to be a priest because what would happen is what happens nowadays. It's like you go on the internet, you put in your resume, and you get nothing back. Right? Sure, some of you have run into that. Okay? That's what would happen. They had to be from Levi, that tribe. And there was no way they could be a priest forever. So we can look at this chart and you can go, okay, so Matt, you've got these two things compared. What does it really mean? Well, there's one piece of the puzzle I haven't shown you yet. And remember I said he's mentioned twice in the Old Testament, this Melchizedek. I'm going to show you the next one. This is a Psalm 110. It says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, all right. So what does that mean? This is a Messianic psalm. Messianic psalms explain to the Israelites what their Messiah, their future king, was going to be. And so here they are. And they're reading this, and they're going, he's a priest? Wait a minute. Kings can't be priests, remember? And in the order of Melchizedek, well, Melchizedek does not fit our model. It's not what a priest is supposed to be. It's not what I've been taught. It's not what I learned. It's not what I grew up with. This can't be right. Can you feel the process? Can you feel it? In their minds, you have this for Jewish Christians, you have it for Jewish people that are thinking about Christianity, and you have the staunch, dyed-in-the-wool Israelites that believe in the Levitical priesthood, and that is it. They're beginning to feel that something is changing, and they don't like it. So let's go farther down in Hebrews. 
This says, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, God put it in play. Why was there still a need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron, which out of Aaron came the Levitical tribes? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah in regard to that tribe. Moses said nothing about priests. This is what I don't like about speaking, and sometimes you forget a point. Within the Jewish system, kings came out of the tribe of Judah. Not Levi, not Asher, not Reuben, not Gad. They came out of the tribe of Judah. So here we're speaking about Christ. So priesthood changed, the law changed. Christ came from Judah. But Christ is also considered a priest. And you're going, wait a minute. You can just hear this going off in their mind. Wait, whoa, whoa, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. But then there's more. Let's go to the next slide. And what we have said even more clear, if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. They're talking about Christ here. Christ is a priest and a king. He's indestructible. He has a permanent priesthood. Whoa. So let's go back to our grid. See? He's not a Levite. He's a king, and he's a priest forever. Now, if I was a betting man, I'd bet on column three there. But I'm not a betting man. I've never bought a scratch ticket. I don't think. Um, okay, this is just a small chart. This is all it is. It's a very simple chart. But it shows you just a simple concept. But there's one more section of scripture I want to read to show you how this all wraps together. And just hear the process. You can hear it. The former regulation is set aside. It was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope was introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Hmm. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Let me close here with a couple comments. Okay, this room has two types of folks in it. It's only two. Either you have saving faith in Christ or you don't. I have to tell you there's no middle ground. No middle ground. You either you are or you're not. For those of you who have a saving faith in Christ, 
Some of you right now are struggling with some concept that God has thrown in your way that needs to change, and he wants to change it for the better. And you are arguing with him. Good. Keep the discussion going. He doesn't mind. Argue with him. But remember, he wants to give you something better than what you're hanging on to. So embrace the process. Embrace it. But for you who don't have a saving faith in Christ, I'm going to leave you with a couple scriptures. This is Romans 3.20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we've become conscious of sin. Remember I said, I keep saying there was something missing, there was something more People will either observe the law of their church or they'll create their own law. They end up at the same place. They want more. They realize they're not cutting it. It's just not there. They know it inherently, but they keep trying. All laws that don't follow what God says, leaves you there. Not enough. Now, I just want to show you one more scripture. Now, this is an incident where Paul and Barnabas were in jail. They got thrown in for preaching the gospel. And they, they were singing, which I find amazing. And he says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the, priest, the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the, priest, the prison doors open, he drew a sword. It was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Under that regime, if a prisoner escaped from you, they were going to kill you anyway because you didn't do your job. He was just going to take care of it for him. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself or I'll hear. Let's go to the next one. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Saul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Most personal laws are extremely complex, extremely frustrating, extremely hard to do. There's no basis that you can judge how you're doing on except yourself. Now, if I judge myself, I'm great, right? And if you judge yourself, you're great, right? But look how simple this is. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. The complexity's gone. The rules are gone. The way you keep track of how all the good things you do are gone. It's not needed. It's not necessary. It gets rid of the, it answers the question of what's enough. It's this right here. And it's so counterintuitive to our Western brains 
that this is too simple. But it's, so what? Truth is truth, right? So if there's anybody here that has heard this, maybe this is the first time you've heard this and you're thinking, this is insane. Embrace the process. Grab it. Run with it. So let me pray. Uh, Father, um, you brought us here for your purposes. Um, I pray that uh, what you want accomplished here will be done. I pray that uh, people that need to hear your message have heard it clearly. And I pray that just a simple concept will just take effect with the rest of us. And we just thank you for being here with us. In Jesus' name, amen.